He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And we have a great show for you guys today. We're going to recap the FedEx St. Jude Championship and also live Bedminster, and then we are going to get to our BMW preview for the FedEx Cup playoffs and some other cool topics in between. Um, But I do want to let our listeners know before we get started here that we are going to start releasing our podcasts later in the day on Mondays or Wednesdays with T-Dub's new schedule. He's teaching school. Obviously, the mornings are tied up for him, and so we are going to start releasing our podcast later in the day, Uh, so definitely make sure and start looking at that if you're used to our normal time in the morning. Uh, T-Dub and Woody, you guys have had quite the week. Woody, you had surgery. I want to start with you. You had hernia (laughs) surgery. How are you feeling? I I can't believe you are uh, two days out of your surgery and wanting to do a podcast with us. Well, it, it, guys, I'd love to tell you, I'm, I, I'd love to be a big wuss and tell you this was just killer surgery. It's, it's just not. It's not. Anybody out there that has a, what they call is a hyenal hernia where your belly button sticks out because you've lifted too heavy an object, which that comes from moving to a farm. Um, it, it, it's, it's a very simple surgery. My, my, my doctor was great. Um took about 35 minutes the worst part about this surgery gentlemen is your stomach hurts for sure you don't want to cough and and you don't want to sneeze or anything like that but what you can't do anything you can't i can't play golf for at least three weeks i can't lift anything over 15 pounds you just feel like you're helpless i don't i don't have a lot of pain it's minimal pain i've i told you guys earlier i don't take pain pills i hate those things so i've been taking about four Advil a day and that's all I've taken so anybody out there that has their belly button that they have this this problem fix it because it, it's not that big a deal it's just uh you gotta just suck it up go in there and let the doctors do what they can so I'm not a good patient I don't like hospitals I don't like doctors not that I don't appreciate doctors I've got two stepsons that are doctors but I, I just soon stay away from all those guys. So this was my one time to let be cut on in a long, long time, and I don't want to do it again. Well, Woody, I know that God has a sense of humor because he says, okay, Woody, I'll let you pick the winner of not only one, but two golf tournaments last week, but you got to have <laughs> surgery the week after, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't skip picking that, not not have surgery. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I got kind of fortunate that, that last week where I thought I had two good players. Little did I know if I'd made a bet on Lucas Glover, I could have been a rich man. That's right. We'll get to that later on in the show. Woody picking not only Lucas Glover, but Cam Smith. Last week, T-Dub, you are starting up school. Update the people and our listeners who have been listening to the podcast for so long. What is teacher T-Dub like over this past week? I know you don't have kids yet, but you're getting geared up to go. Oh, definitely getting geared up. And the kids are getting geared up, too, out in Rush Springs. It's a very small community. It's only a Class A school. 
So everyone's in full force trying to make sure they get everything in order for this upcoming school year. We'll start on Friday, which is two days away from when we're recording, getting all the lesson plans, stuff, getting my classroom situated, having to do the do the safety stuff, you know, if there's a fire, if there's an active shooter, God willing that that's something like that never happens, but you have to be prepared for it if it does. So I'm very excited. Last night was the meet the teacher night. So there was, oh man, at one point there for about an hour straight, there was just a line of people waiting out my door. I truly couldn't <laughs> believe it. And, and some of the, the kids I talked to guys, they were, they're so much smarter than I was at that age. Like it's, it's a joke in all honesty. So I, I think that the majority of, of the kids that I have are going to be pretty intelligent. I'm really looking forward to that. That's really good stuff. You guys have had busy weeks. I've just kind of been gearing up for the Sports Animal 25-year anniversary thing tomorrow out at Remington Park. If you're one of the listeners listening to this podcast tonight, which would be Wednesday night, Thursday all day out at Remington Park, all of the Sports Animal guys are going to be out there all day celebrating 25 years. Definitely make sure and go out to Remington Park if you have the time. Uh, Fellas. Let's dive right into the FedEx St. Jude Championship from last week. Lucas Glover wins in a playoff over Patrick Cantlay. Glover shoots one under in the final round. Cantlay, even though he shoots six under in the final round, loses in the playoff. We'll get to the playoff, fellas, but Lucas Glover, all of the sudden, and Woody kind of alluded to it last week, said, hey, if he throws another win in here after, what does he had? five top sixes in his last six tournaments? And, fellas, now he has a win in a playoff event against the best players on the PGA Tour to go along with those other top six finishes plus the other win at the Wyndham. T-Dub, I'll start with you. Lucas Glover has just thrusted himself right into Ryder Cup consideration. Oh, there's absolutely no doubt about it. This is the reason that having the picks and having the point system finalized later in the year is such a benefit. We've mentioned all the time the Billy Horschel year in 2014 when he wins two of the FedEx Cup tournaments, wins the FedEx Cup, and he doesn't even get picked for the tournament. This is exactly what we wanted to have. Players who are in good form have an option to make the team. This, his last two wins have moved him up to 16th in the ranking, so he's just right there, right on the cusp of of at least being right in the captain's pick, I, I, he would have to have another high finish or probably a win this upcoming week to get into the top six qualifiers, which ironically after this tournament is when the top six will be finalized. So that will be interesting. But one thing that was impressive, I thought, Woody, about Lucas Glover's last week is there's numerous times in my life where I feel like we've entered a parallel universe. And Sunday was one of those times. I look at the stats and I see Lucas Glover, one of the best ball strikers of all time, on Sunday lost 2.93 shots approach, and then gained 2.84 on the greens. It was literally the complete opposite of what he's been his entire career, Woody. So he's become a full-fledged player at this point. I told you guys, I kind of busted you guys before we went on the air, uh, that I thought that was a, a easy pick last week to go with Glover. And the reason why I thought it was is because at Southwind, I knew he had to be a really good ball striker. So I was shocked at how bad he hit it the last round. He hit it pretty good the first three rounds. But I, I told you guys, think about this for a minute. And, and Sam, you're the only one on our podcast that will admit to having the yips, okay? Well, if you've struggled with that in your golf game, that is one of the most frightening things in the world, to think that I, no matter how good I strike the golf ball, I'm not going to shoot under par because I'm liable to whiff it from a foot, okay? So – if you get your mindset all of a sudden, and it wasn't all of a sudden, let's remember, he had a number of high finishes. This putter has been getting better 
and better and better. Once he thinks he can putt good, then to me, he was a no-brainer this last week. I didn't know for sure if he'd win, but I knew he was going to have another good week. I knew he was because he had so much confidence. Now, going into the BMW this week, I don't know, guys, because the heat last week in Memphis took a toll on those boys. I guarantee it did. So at what point does this, you know, kind of cool off? I don't know if it's this week or not, but don't be surprised if Glover doesn't finish in the top ten. Guys, this has been a really interesting run from Lucas Glover. Now he is 30th in the official World Golf ranking, and he's fourth on the FedEx Cup points list. Lucas Glover has a chance to win the darn FedEx Cup, but he has back-to-back wins at the FedEx St. Jude Championship in the Wyndham. He did miss the cut at the 3M, but finished fifth at the Barbersaw, tied for sixth at the John Deere, and tied for fourth at the Rocket Mortgage. And what all those tournaments, including the Wyndham, kind of have in common, it's those non-elevated events that the big names didn't want to play in. And even headed into the Wyndham, Lucas Glover was 112th in the official World Golf ranking, and now he's 30th in the official World Golf ranking after back-to-back wins. T-Dub, I think this goes to show that these non-elevated events can be important, if anything else, other than just confidence for some of these guys. And he gained a little confidence at the Rocket Mortgage, then a little bit more at the John Deere, then finished his top five at the Barbersaw. He did miss the cut at the 3M, but then rattles off back-to-back wins. Guys, he wasn't playing or putting good earlier on this year, really at all. He gained shots twice on the greens throughout the whole season before the Rocket Mortgage. That was at the Mexico Open and the Players' Championship. Now, in these last six events, he's gained shots for the tournament on the field four different times on the greens. So, T-Dub, I think that it goes to show that these non-elevated events can be more important than us with the microphone sometimes think they are. Oh, there's absolutely no doubt. When you're dealing with this many world-class good players, if you get on a, a good run, any player has a chance to do something to to this extent. At least once you're out on PJ Tour, if you can start just getting the puss to fall and you get some confidence like Lucas, Lucas Glover has, the sky's the limit. At that point, that's exactly what we've seen. And you're just talking about Lucas Glover as well. One thing I find interesting is that up until his last two wins, he had actually been losing strokes gained when it comes to distance. I believe he lost strokes gained in that category eight, nine straight tournaments. And then the last two tournaments, it seems like he's gained them, which was after he missed the cut at 3M. I didn't see anything in particularly different in the swing that would lead to that. But one thing I, I would assume is that he's a little bit swinging a little bit more confidently because it, it's the, the trickle-down effect, or I guess trickle effect, however you want to look at it, at this point of, of his putter, where it's, if you have confidence there, it's going to translate to the rest of your game, Woody. And I think that is something we've seen because his putting got better but also something that isn't even related to putting whatsoever also increases well. I think that's an interesting thing to note. I'll tell you what's the scariest thing about this, guys, is he's depended on his ball striking his whole career on the PGA Tour. Now, you think how bad he hit it on Sunday and he still won. So in a funny kind of way, this is this just made him more confident for, for a better way of saying it. I mean, because now he walks away from a golf tournament thinking, you know, I didn't even hit it good and I won. So, boy, it is it is hard to try to explain to our listeners how much confidence in the game of golf can make or break you. 
And I, I've watched it my whole life of watching guys that I thought were done, and all of a sudden they catch a little hot streak, and they're, they're, then they're a world beater. So this was a huge step again for Lucas Glover. If Zach Johnson not put him on the radar, I'll be shocked because he's a, as a ball striker, 99% of the time you can count on him to hit the fairway and hit the green. Now he can rat hold some putts. How can you not look at him? Okay, I, I don't know. I'm I'm try, I'm not trying to get out of the box, way out of the box. I was one last week that said if he can win two of these, now we really got us a show going on. So he's got one down. Well, let's see what happens. Absolutely. I don't even think he has to win the BMW to be considered for a Ryder Cup pick. I think he's already proven that he's playing some of the best golf in the world right now. As far as the Ryder Cup standings go, he moves up another 19 spots with this win all the way up to 16th on the Ryder Cup points list over the last two years. But all of Lucas's Lucas Glover's work has been over the last six weeks, fellas. Um, so you have to consider that when you're talking about picking for the Ryder Cup, you have to consider current form. And I would absolutely consider that. And back to Woody's point about his putting, he did have the yips. But as I hear him talk about his new putter and new stroke, uh, totally different motor skill, as he says, that he, basically when you have the yips, what you have to do is trick your brain into thinking that you're not putting like you used to, right? You have to trick your brain into thinking that I can do this, right? Because the whole point of the yips in the first place is somehow your brain, whether you're subliminally thinking about it or whether you're actually thinking about it, your brain thinks that you are going to miss the putter. You were too worried about the result instead of the process. And he is trusting this process with the split grip and the long putter. And, fellas, it looks really, really good. And not only was I impressed with the short putts that he needed to make, I was impressed with the lag putts that he had to hit coming down the stretch, especially on 18 with all that pressure after Cantlay hits it in the water on 18. We'll talk about him in a second. But any final thoughts on any of that with Lucas Glover teed up? Well, now, as, as he's mentioned, they, there's no glitch in the system anymore when it comes to his putting stroke. It's so much more free-flowing, and he's able to get the ball rolling end over end, which is something you saw on the great par saves that he had. He had two great par saves on the first couple of holes, and then on 13, the, the par four, when he, he thought the ball was embedded, and they didn't give him a drop, so he kind of had to chop down on it, made, what, a 25-footer there. I think that was the golf god getting right on that account. And then on 14, it's a horrible shot on the par three into the water. And then goes to the drop zone, hits it to 25, 30 feet, whatever it was, and then makes that putt. And then on 17, he has to lay up because he has to punch it underneath the tree. And then he's just a little bit short of the green, just up to 8, 10 feet, then makes that putt. So it was truly, truly crazy, Woody. Just like I said, the, the different style of game. But I, that's why I think at least right now we could see something different at the BMW of the Tour Championship, I guess. But at this point, I think Lucas Glover has to be picked just because he's shown that he's obviously one of the best ball strikers of the last two decades. And then you include now he can make putts. It sounds like a winning combination to me. Well, this golf course they're getting ready to play is a, it's fairly long, but it's par seventy, so they're not going to go real low. I don't think they're going to shoot really, really low numbers this week, which goes right back into his wheelhouse. I think what I noticed more than anything else this weekend watching him putt, guys. If you watch the roll of the golf ball, we always talk about a good putter makes the ball roll end over end. 
he he puts the stripe down the way a lot of guys do now to see if their role is any good. Well, I'll tell you what, the putts I saw that he made coming down the stretch, if you watch the way his golf ball was rolling, uh, I don't know what he's doing with his putting stroke, but he better keep doing it because it's going to make him a lot of money. There's no doubt about that. So, guys, what does he have to do this week at the BMW? Not in your mind, not if you were the captain, but what it, what does he have to do for Zach Johnson to pick Lucas Glover after the BMW this week, T-Dub? What are your thoughts on that? I think at this point, as long as he doesn't, two things have to happen. If he goes out and shoots 80-80 and then doesn't do anything good in the in the church championship, then he's probably not going to be picked. But as long as he stays Somewhere above middle of the pack, there won't be a cut the next couple of weeks, but imagine there was a cut if he would finish above the halfway point. I feel like it's a good point for that. But the main thing he needs to avoid is someone who's a little bit further down and questionably being picked, like a Tony Finau or a Cameron Young, someone like that, or even a Russell Henley who's been uh, analytically one of the highest players, but he probably won't get picked unless he goes out and wins this week, or maybe like a Sam Burns or something like that. So in my opinion, that's 100% what he needs is to have not one of these guys that is close to him go out and win the tournament or win the next week of the church championship. Because I think that, at this point, that's the only thing, besides Lucas Gover completely falling apart, is the only thing that I could see holding him back from being picked at this point. You know, guys, think about this, too. This, this, if you're Justin Thomas sitting at home, it's not good for him either for Lucas Glover to come on the radar. Because now here's just another guy we got to look at. I would love to see Lucas Glover have another couple of good weeks, and you guys know why? You're ready for this? So that he could have some clothes that are at least decent looking. <laughs> He's the worst dressed winner I've ever seen in my life. I think a I lot mean, of it was. What, let's talk about that, Woody. I mean, I think a lot of it wasn't his fault. I think everybody was sweating their ass off, literally, out there in Memphis at TPC Southwind. It's just sticky and hot and humid. If last week didn't prove that it's so stupid to make these guys wear pants, especially on extremely hot days like that. I don't think any day will prove it because I am not only hearing golf people talk about this now, it's like a topic in sports. They're like, look at what Lucas Glover did. And then the side topic is, why are they making them wear pants when it's 170 degrees outside? And, and he, I mean, well, it did look horrible. It looked I awful. It, I mean, he was sweating agree, through but, not but, only his butt, but it, the front of his pants. You can't wear khakis hey, in the summertime in Memphis. Well, I was getting ready to say, don't wear docker khakis. They're heavy cotton. That was the worst choice you could have made. I mean, wear something where that sweat doesn't plow through. I mean, I hope he had that powder called monkey butt, because if he didn't, he is going to have a rash to end all rashes. I mean, that was embarrassing how badly that looked, and it looked bad for the, I think a lot of people, it looked bad for him, it looked bad for making them play in the heat like that and not wearing shorts, but that was a poor choice on his part, and, and that's why I say at least if he makes a Ryder Cup team, they'll put him in some nice clothes, and maybe he can, with all this money he's making, he can get off those khakis because that's that's what he's worn since I've watched him and known him. He's a khaki guy. Yeah, that's what he wears. The problem is you can't wear white because then it's going to see through. You don't really want to wear black pants because then you're just really hot on a really hot day. T-Dub, what is the play here other than the PGA Tour 
let them wear shorts. They always wear shorts, no matter whether they're practicing or playing in other tournaments. The only time they ever have to wear pants and heat like that is on the PGA Tour. Well, you could just do what Tom Kim does and just wear capris. I guess those are acceptable now on the tour. That's something I was completely unaware of, but but good for him. And, yeah, there's a lot of factors at play here. The 100 degrees is definitely something that – and the heavy – y'all are 100% right on the heavy-duty dockers. Literally, besides some straight made out of wool flax, there's not a worse choice you could have made in that endeavor. One thing I'll say, at least for him, if he makes the Ryder Cup, I don't think in Rome in October it's going to be 100 degrees, so that'll be a little bit more of a benefit. They, the uh, the heavy dockers might actually be more of a benefit if it's a little bit chilly weather, especially in the mornings. But the last point that I have on it is, if I made $3.6 million in a golf tournament, I'd have Swamp Ass all day. I, didn't, I wouldn't care who's <laughs> That's right. Uh, two things came to mind when you were saying that. Number one, I think the Ryder Cup team still wears Polo Ralph Lauren, if I'm not mistaken. They might have changed sponsors by now. Um, but I don't necessarily think it will be the exact same pants that Lucas was wearing in Memphis. Uh, the second point, Woody, uh, I think a guy that we both mutually know, Andy Dillard, bib one day after a junior tournament that I was playing in I clearly had the uh swamp ass going on and Andy Dillard pulled me aside he said Sam come over here let me give you some advice he goes you go home and you do a handstand in the shower then you put as much baby powder on as you possibly can any golfer that walks will totally relate to that story I can tell you one that, that to this day I feel sorry for him was uh, my brother caddied for me in 1987 at the PGA in West Palm Beach the PGA National. It was just like it was there in Memphis. It was so blooming hot and humid. You guys cannot possibly imagine. My poor brother did not understand wearing the pants because we had to have pants, even the caddies back then, how bad those rashes could be. I thought I was going to lose him for sure because as we played our 36th hole, I thought, well, I'm going to miss the cut. He can get to go home. And somehow I hit a two-wood from out of the middle of the fairway on 18 to three feet and made eagle to make the cut by a shot. <laughs> it was the one time I think he was really disappointed I made the cut in the major because he had we had to go and buy, oh, I mean, all kinds of creams and everything else. I about killed my brother. So I understand a swamp ass. I do get it. Uh, that we've come a long ways. You know, we've got underwear now that are like bike pants, you know, that'll keep you from getting those kinds of rashes and those things. But uh, I just feel sorry for those guys because I know how hot they were and how miserable they were. But uh, kudos to our buddy, Lucas Glover. I mean, he looked like crap coming down, but he still won the golf tournament. There is no doubt about it. Fellas, before we get off the FedEx St. Jude Championship, we got to talk about the other guy in the playoff. Patrick Cantlay goes out and shoots six under par in the final round, but in the playoff, hits it into the water, and that cost him the golf tournament. Um, Patrick Cantlay does move up three spots on the Ryder Cup standings, so now he is now in third uh, behind Wyndham Clark and Scotty Scheffler. Patrick Cantlay essentially secured his spot on the Ryder Cup team points-wise in that top six to where he won't even have to be a pick. 
It's going to come down to Max Homa and Xander Schauffele for that sixth spot, which is locked in. But both guys are going to be on the team. But that'll be another thing to look at. But Patrick Cantlay does move up to third on the Ryder Cup points standings list. But it was a very disappointing playoff for Patrick Cantlay after hitting it in the water on 18. Yeah, definitely anticlimactic, which, which is a good thing about that that hole. It really is a fantastic finishing hole. It could just lead to a situation where as long as Lucas Glover found the fairway on, on his shot, then then he was going to win. Or, I mean, Cantley did have a chance to make a heroic par, which he almost did on the last hole. But at that point, we, there was a very, very high chance who was going to win that playoff. And luckily so, because there was an hour and a half weather delay earlier in the day. So there was not an abundance of daylight left that they had. So it, it was good that occurred there. But Cantley played very solid really all week, essentially. He's had that any shot the six under 64. The final round bogey three had three birdies on the front, three birdies on the back. So, yeah, very stellar stuff. Not a question if he's going to be on the Ryder Cup team or not. I think the only question is, is Cantley going to be in a position now to where he could potentially win the uh, FedEx Cup? He's number five right now, always plays good. In the, he's the two-time defending champion at the BMW. It's obviously in a different course uh, than it was the last couple of years. But he currently in fifth, always plays good. I think he's got to have his eyes on another FedEx Cup, Woody, at this point. If he doesn't, there's something wrong with him. That that 18th hole, though, there at Southwind is really a tough driving hole. Back, back when I used to play, you had to hit driver. They can hit three woods now, and that helps them because it's easier to turn that three wood over from right to left than it was that driver that we would try to do back when I was playing that golf course. Cantley just looked like he just overdrew it. I mean, it wasn't a horrible golf swing. I mean, it didn't just go out in the middle of the lake like some horrible-looking golf shot. He turned it just a little too much. It just so happened he did it before Lucas Glover hit, and so that opened the door. So it was kind of an anticlimactic finish, like you guys said. But I look for Cantley to have a good week this week. I really do. Not not necessarily because it's the BMW. He plays it well, different golf course. But I think I think he and a lot of these guys, this is going to be an interesting week, guys. I think what you're going to watch this week will be all the superstars start to kind of get their games up to speed because – I think you're going to have a leaderboard that's full of the Rory, McIlroy, Victor Hoblins, Cantleys, Shufflers. I think this is going to be a speed to pick one. I mean, I think this is going to be a crazy week of who can win this golf tournament. But I do look for the studs to start moving towards uh, the final week at East Lake. I, they, they're not stupid. They got their games gearing towards that. So this three stretch tournaments, they'll build all the way till they get to East Lake, and then. Then it's going to be a party going on. No doubt about it. When you guys were talking about Patrick Cantlay's tee shot on 18 in the playoff, it did remind me to say that those were two ballsy tee shots from Lucas Glover on 18. Those were big-time tee shots, and it even impresses me more that he does that without a glove, fellas. I mean, he's sticking his hands in ice buckets to try to dry them off. Why not just use a glove, T-Dub? <laughs> Man, it's, well, with how hot it was and how much we obviously saw that he's able to sweat from the last conversation that we had, he'd probably go through a glove, probably to a hole, so then a 36 gloves, not the way down the bag, a lot, a lot of factors there. But, yeah, I never understood not being able to play with a glove. If I try to swing without a glove, the glove will slip out of my hands and it would go 100 yards the other direction. So, yeah, there, there's no way that I could do that. I know Freddie Couples did it. I know uh, local guy Robert Streb plays no glove as well. So there's definitely – He's, Lucas Glover isn't the only player in the world who's never done it, but it's definitely a rare occurrence. And like I said, it's just something that I would, there's zero chance that I would be able to do it. 
I've, I've always been a glove guy. So, but, but you know, what's crazy guys, when, when you start, he probably didn't wear a glove when he was a kid. And once you, once you start something, it's kind of hard to get away from it. I asked Freddie couples one time because he and I played some golf together back in our day. I said, why do you not use a glove? And he said, Woody, when I was a kid, I was so poor, I couldn't afford one. So I didn't even think about a glove. I just learned to play without it. So who knows? Maybe Lucas Glover didn't have any money either when he was a kid growing up. And then once you get used to holding the club without one, I, I, you know, golfers are funny cats, boy. I'll tell you what, they, they're superstitious too. If you got a feel for that club, now I would tell you that all those guys tend to like a cord grip. They like a grip that's rough. They don't want a grip that's smooth. If you don't, if you don't have a glove on, you play with a cord grip. And I can tell you this, their hands are nasty. They are so beat up and calloused. You cannot believe how beat up those guys' hands are that play with those cords grips and not a glove. That they're not going to be on any commercial with soft hands because they don't have them. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I can't imagine uh, playing without a glove. The club would go farther than the ball. Uh, guys, Rory McIlroy and Tommy Fleetwood, two guys we're going to see on Team Europe, finish one shot back at 14 under. Same story, different tournament for both of these guys. Fleetwood still without a win on the PGA Tour, and Rory McIlroy backdoors another top three. Uh, any thoughts on those two guys from Team Europe, T-Dub? Nah, it's exactly like you said. It's just like clockwork with those guys. At least Rory was able to make a kind of a backdoor birdie on 18, so he knew that Cantlay had already lagged it up. So Fussa knew that he didn't have a chance, so who knows with the butterfly effect about what had gone on, gone in or whatever. And then Tommy Fleetwood, Unfortunately, he just made a couple of mistakes to the round. Made a bogey on two and made a bogey on 12 as well. Did birdie 16 coming in, but wasn't able to get another one. Had a couple of decent chances along the way. Just wasn't able to get it done. But really, one big takeaway I had from this weekend as well, guys, was that our man Taylor Moore got in the final group. It was actually the first time he'd been in the final group of any tournament, which I thought was very interesting considering he already has a PGA Tour win, but just got off to an absolutely horrible start on Sunday. Just wasn't able to get anything going. He started off 5-5-5 and then bogeyed number four in there so he was three over through four not ideal whatsoever did putt really good for the week and then actually did putt fairly good on uh, on sunday as well but just hit the ball absolutely just not very good whatsoever so but it was a good experience for him what he to finally be in the final group especially the playoff event still that that pressure and he's he moved himself up to 14th in the fedex cup standing so that's all but assured that he'll be at east lake so to only be your second year on tour make the tour championship that's one hell of a season right there Oh, I think it is, and that's why I wasn't going to uh, say anything, beat him up for how he got off to that start, because golf, you, you just don't know. I mean, who knows? I, was he nervous? Probably. I don't know, but the year he's had, the, the last thing I would ever do right now with as good as he has played, like you said, making the Tour Championship his second year, uh, you know, I don't want to be one of those armchair quarterbacks, and I hate people that are that question anything this young man has done. I think he's a phenomenal player, and you know what? Okay, he didn't have a good final round, but he learned a lot, and sometimes failure will help you more than success, and I truly believe in Taylor that everything he does, whether he succeeds or fails, he learns from it. 
he'll be a better player for it. I look for him to have a good couple more weeks. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back up there again near the lead again. And I promise you, he learned a lot that last round there at Southland. I guarantee you. No doubt about it, fellas. I was really impressed with what Taylor Moore did on Sunday, honestly. He was three over through seven holes and then makes all pars until 16 where he makes a birdie. And then he got another birdie at 18, which was very important to get him out of the eight-way tie for fifth which moved him into solo fifth place and now there was a seven-way tie for sixth um so it got him into a solo fifth place finish at 12 under par and not only did it do that but it moved him up to 14th on the fedex cup points list where he would have been 21st had he not made that birdie putt on 18 so two big time birdies for taylor moore in that final round on 16 and 18 he does shoot one over in the final round but does finish solo fifth place only behind Glover Cantlay McElroy and Fleetwood any final thoughts on the FedEx Cup playoffs I know we're, we'll get into our BMW preview for Olympia Fields coming up on the second half of this show but any final thoughts on the FedEx St. Jude Championship T-Dub well it truly was a great tournament whenever you have this many world-class players and, and on a course that Used to not get a whole lot of publicity because it used to be the week before the U.S. Open, I believe, and so not and not very many players used to play it. So now with it being in a better spot in the, in the rotation, obviously a playoff event, that's going to lead to, to much better fields. And when you get to see good players on good golf course, like I said, an abundance of water, so there's a lot of volatility that can occur. But I, I thought it was a really good deal. And you have a, a big mover in Lucas Glover going up to fourth in the standings. And then, like you said, you mentioned earlier, man, Taylor Moore down in 14th place. If he has another solid week this week, he can get up into uh, – the, the top 10 at least, or even if he finishes really high, get up in the top five. And with how janky the, the Tour Championship scoring system is, now I don't even get me started on that. It's an absolute crime that that's how we end the PGA Tour season. It, it's a, a, astonishingly more important now to be in the top five of the FedEx going into the Tour Championship than it was ever before. I couldn't agree anymore. I, I, this FedEx thing drives me crazy. So, well, But what we did see, TPC Southwind is one of the better TPC golf courses. The, the, you know, the tour builds a lot of those across the country. Uh, I think it's one of the better ones, if not the best one. So it, it's nice that it gets to be shown like in these situations where they're big-time golf tournaments. I, I was happy to see that. All I see happening from that, though, guys, is like I said, here we go. This is the buildup. I'm a little worried that it seems like the Europeans are starting to play pretty good, and uh, I hope they hit a high point and then crater when we get to Rome. No doubt. Uh, We definitely want the U.S. guys playing better than the European guys headed into the Ryder Cup. I agree with Woody. Um, To wrap up, the FedEx St. Jude Championship. I got to give the FedEx standings after the first playoff event. That would be John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, Lucas Glover, and Patrick Cantlay are your top five. The big number, obviously, at the BMW is going to be number 30. Only 30 guys get into the Tour Championship. The guy sitting right on the bubble right now is Sam Burns. Big week for him next week to not only make the Tour Championship, but maybe throw one last thing at Zach Johnson for one of those Ryder Cup picks. Uh, 29 is Chris Kirk. 28 is Sungjae M. 27 is Jordan Spieth. And 26 is 
Tyrrell Hatton. The guys on the outside looking in are Sahithi Gala, Justin Rose, Kurt Kitayama, Denny McCarthy, Seamus Powers, Lee Hodges, and we can go on down the list from there. Also, major champion Matt Fitzpatrick also on the outside looking in. Of the guys that did not get in the BMW, Mackenzie Hughes, Nick Hardy, Taylor Montgomery were the three guys on the outside looking in. Uh, Patrick Rogers got that 50th spot, and Harris English got the 49th spot. Tom Hoagie got the 48th spot, so you will see them at the BMW. Any thoughts on these standings after the first playoff event, T-Dub? Yeah, pretty interesting that whenever going down to 50 now as opposed to 70, as it used to be, you would think that there would be a lot more, I guess, big names that you would say. That, that didn't make it or that cut. And, and honestly, those names that you mentioned on the outside looking in, it's like I'm not going to extremely miss those guys this week. It's not someone – I don't feel like even one besides maybe family members or someone you got in a draft team's lineup are going out to watch the, the guys who did not make it, with the exception of like a Justin Thomas or maybe an Adam Scott who did not even make the FedEx State Jude last week. So it seemed like there was even a bigger cut there than it was this week, which is a little bit more unique to me. And you look at it going forward, I believe – trying to look at the the point standings here in the analytics i think that the top 19 places are mathematically secured so i don't think there's any way that they can fall out and you look at it going all the way down to about 23rd place i believe it's they're in the 99 percentile of being able to move forward so mathematically you're looking at about six spots that are open for some volatility to move there and just for for reference sake you got sam burns who's in the 30th spot he has a 60 percent chance to move on Chris Kirk, who's in 29th place, has a 47% chance. So kind of right around 50-50 as you expect. The, the closest outside of the top uh, 30 to move in is Sahithi Gala at a 33% chance. So the analytics aren't projecting a lot of volatility, so I'd only expect maybe at most two or three names to get uh, to get thrown out of that top 30 and not being able to make it on the East Lake. You know, I was listening to T-Dub. He, he's got some great points there. And, I, you know, I, I think – to me, the FedEx is, is critical, but I think those those Keegan Bradley and Sam Burns, their Ryder Cup is even more right now this second week than I'm more interested in the FedEx. That's just me. I mean, the FedEx, will, it's going to run its course. We're going to see how it ends up, but this Ryder Cup still interests me more than anything. No doubt, and I think the way they do the Tour Championship now takes a little drama out of it. It's going to be one of those top five guys win the FedEx Cup. John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, uh, Rory, Lucas Glover, Patrick Cantlay. I think that takes a little bit of the fun out of it, but it is it is still interesting looking at the guys that could possibly make or miss the Tour Championship. We'll keep you updated on that, but let's go to live Bedminster, where Cam Smith got the win, and uh, not only did he get the win, but his Ripper GC team also got the win. It was supposed to be an interesting, entertaining final round with Cam Smith uh, and Phil Mickelson kind of battling it out and seeing if Cam Smith could hold that lead, and it was interesting for a while, fellas. But we got to number seven at Bedminster, which is a par three over water. And Phil Mickelson hits two balls in the water and ends up making a snowman at the par three 
seventh hole, and that basically secured Cam Smith the victory. Cam Smith finishes at 12 under par, Honor Bond Lahiri at 5 under par, and then we had Abe Answer, Patrick Reed, and Dean Burmester at 4 under par, tied for third place. Big-time stuff from Cam Smith, but a very boring final round, basically because Phil had the snowman at number seven teed up. And the fact that Cam Smith just absolutely lit that course up when everyone else was extremely struggling, five under, four under, three under in the three rounds play. That's extremely good golf. And was able to propel Team Ripper into a win, which they probably should have had a lot better chance to do at Live London. But then uh, that was not the case. Cam Smith decided to have this, one of the sneakiest chokes of the year, make a bogey on a par five when he was right in the middle of the fairway, but that's <laughs> another topic for another day. But what this did was, uh, on multiple levels, it, it really hurt our man TG. We were talking about it on the radio show because I had, even before the golf started, we all said they had the Cam Smith, he had, what, a four or five shot lead after two rounds. You're like, yeah, there's no way he's not going to win this tournament. So that bumped him up over our man TG in the season. Long standings, there's a lot of money riding on who finishes one, two, and three in those. So definitely something to be looked at. And then, Another element to it, which is just absolutely horrible for Liv, is that I believe this is the only Liv event this so far this year that went against a PJ Tour elevated event, and it just so happened to be a playoff event. And th- this was also one of the few times that we played. They played over here in the United States, and we're in the same time zone. Usually, we're used to watch it early in the morning or staying up late at night to see it. So it was going on at the exact same time as the FedEx St. Jude. And not only was Cam Smith dominating the, the individual, but the, the Rippers dominating the team portion. So there was no reason for anyone to not watch the FedEx and Jude at that point, unless you just absolutely love live. I flip over there in the commercial or something like that, but it could not have been the wor- the it could not have been a worse situation in my opinion for Liv to have not only the individual be a run up on the team as well, but it went head to head against the FedEx St. Jude one. You know, to me this was this was a double dip. I, I hated it. The Cam beat. Taylor and has taken the lead and I, I was worried about it because I picked Cam to win because I know he's a bulldog man and he, he knows there's 18 million waiting at the end of the year so he's going to put his A game out there but you're right the other part of it was you're spot on T-Dub it was boring I mean it, that that tournament wasn't even fun to watch I mean Cam had it the, the, his team had it and we know what's going on down there at that FedEx is pretty pretty important right now from the Ryder Cup standpoint. So, you know, it was a really a bad weekend for Liv, in my opinion. It was, but I think, if anything, it proves how good Cam Smith is, and I feel like a lot of the golf world forgets about it. Watching him on that front nine, he has the best hands of anyone who is in our era, of the younger guys. I mean, he you can consider him with the short game of Tiger and Phil and the putting style of a Ben Crenshaw or Lauren Roberts. The guy just, he's so solid, not only on the greens, but even a little bit more underrated is his ability to get the ball up and down and chip it stone dead. I was really impressed with what I saw from Cam Smith. I think that was the reason why he blew away this field was because when he did put himself in bad spots around the greens or in some of these bunkers he was able to you know hit it up there within two or three feet and his chipping was unbelievable in this golf tournament and he's driving the ball better as well Um, obviously not a guy that we look to be in the Ryder Cup coming from Australia but it is 
good to see Cam Smith gaining confidence headed into next season, T-Dub. I was really impressed with what I watched, but that is the golf sicko, golf junkie in me that I enjoyed watching Cam Smith, but it was boring as far as no team drama and no individual drama either. I agree with you guys on that. Well, it's just funny that you mentioned we won't be looking for him on the Ryder Cup team. Hell, we don't have to be looking for him on the President's Cup team either. Apparently, he didn't play last year. What a like, tremendous crime that was, just to, to point it out. And then one thing I find interesting here, just looking at his data golf page, is that he's still ninth in the official world golf rankings, and neither one of his last two live wins count. So how how would he be if they had world ranking points? That's just how good he's been playing. If he would if he would have been able to hit just a few more fairways around, he would be one of the best players of the, I mean, he already is one of the best players of this era, but he's would be even higher, and he probably have more than one major championship. There's obviously a lot of golf to be played for the rest of his career, but at the same time, that that driver can just get a little bit loose at the top, which causes the the ball to go a little wayward. And he's not a short player by any stretch, but he doesn't overpower golf courses. So, driver is really the only thing all about because obviously his putting is great. His around the greens game is maybe the best in the world right now. At worst, I would say top five. And then his iron game is uh, probably top 10, top 15 in the world as well. So everything about his game is 100% where it needs to be, except the driver. So if he gets on courses where he can he can miss it a little bit sideways, for example, at St. Andrews, or if he's able to just have a, a miraculous week to the putter, he's going to contend all the time. So, yeah, that's, and he's still not even 30 years old yet. He, I guess he turns 30 pretty soon. Uh, his page says he's 29 years, 11 months. So he's almost there. So there is a tremendous amount of golf. Uh, for for Cam Smith to play, and also too the fact of the fact that his putter probably will not leave him for the rest of his career. I mean, he'll he'll have a spark where he doesn't putt exceptionally good, but he's going to be a good putter for till the rest of time, in my opinion. So yeah, there's the, the sky's the limit for Cam Smith's future, at least at this point. It's what we what we said about him all along, though, guys. Is he's not going away. I hate it that we don't get to see him more than we get to see him because he is one of those kinds of guys that's a world class player. So that. That's too bad, but we'll just have to see how this uh, merger goes, and hopefully we'll get to see more Cam. No doubt. Um, two bad things if you're a Taylor Gooch slash Range Goat fan. You guys already mentioned one of them, that Cam Smith with this win and Taylor Gooch finishing in 15th place. Uh, he really finished tied for 11th, but 15 as far as the points go for the season-long live standings. Um, that means that Cam Smith is now at 170. Taylor Gooch is at 149. Now Patrick Reed is third on the season-long point standings for live at 120. Brooks Kepka is fourth at 112. Um that's bad for Taylor Gooch, and he's going to basically have to win one of these coming up events. They have Chicago and then Jetta, and then the individual season-long points race ends, and then they have the team event in Miami at Trump Doral. As far as the team standings go, the most important thing for the team standings is to be in those top four spots so you can get a buy at the team event in Miami for the first round. And right now, the four aces are in first at 172 points. Team Torquay is in second at 163 points. And Team Stinger, who we saw win in Tulsa, is in third at 156 points. Fourth place is Team Crushers. And Team Crushers had a great final round at Lib Bedminster shot four under finished nine under for the golf tournament they beat out Stinger for the playoff for second place and 
Range Goats end up finishing fourth at eight under par, one shot behind Team Crusher, and that means that now Team Crusher has a three-point lead over the Range Goats headed in to live Chicago. So basically, TG's going to have to win or finish second at Chicago and Jetta, and then the Range Goats are going to have to beat the Crushers in the last two events to secure that top four spot if anyone cares about the range goats and the team event as well t-dub it can it's hard to describe how important or how big the difference is between finishing fourth and fifth in the team standings is your your odds of winning that team event are so much higher if you're the four seed compared to the five seed. it's not even funny because you get to not play the first match that is extremely extremely vital and the range goats are, are sitting in a very very tricky spot. One thing they do have going for them is that they're fifth with 143 points and the Fireballs are in sixth with only 80 points. So there's really not many teams that can come up from behind to make a little bit of a move. So they are going to, they are just going to have to play good these last two events. One thing that's very interesting is that we don't have another, the next one live Chicago is not being played until I think the third, it's the week before the Ryder Cup. Uh, so it's the third week in September. So we got five weeks before that occurs, and then the uh, the last uh, individual event in Jeddah will be uh, at the middle of October. So there's a decent amount of time, at least, that'll be uh, to figure out. So we only have two tournaments between now and then, but Woody, we're not going to know the end of this uh, individual championship for at least two months, so that's pretty crazy. I thought I'd like this with Liv not playing as much because those guys were saying that we don't want to play as much, but now when we get to these kinds of events and we are looking for you know, the little excitement to get who's going to be the teams. I wish we didn't have that long a break. I, I, I hate it, but that's that's what I'm saying. I agree with you. And as far as the individual standings go, the winner gets $18 million, then it goes down to $8 million for second, and I think 3 or $5 million for third place. I'm not positive on that. And obviously, the team event in Miami is going to pay out massive amounts of money as well. But there's a big $10 million difference between first and second, T-Dub, in that individual point standings. And right now, Cam Smith is in line for that $18 million where Taylor Gooch was last week. Yeah, huge, massive difference in that. There's, there's no doubt about that. Cam Smith currently with 170 points. CG is down at 149, and then Patrick Reed is in third with 120, down in fourth is Bruce Kepka with 112, so a decent amount of gap there. And and how the points work is the first place, if you win, you get 40 points, is what Cam Smith did last week. Second, 30, third, 24, then it keeps going progressively down from there all the way down to 24. Uh, picks 21, or finishers 21 through 24 will get one point, and then you get like two, three, four, five if you move up in there. If you finish in the top 10, you'll get at least uh, 10 points. So there's a decent amount of time for TG to make it up. But uh, for a T20 down 21 points currently, he would need to finish minimum third this next event to catch him. And that's saying Cam Smith finishes outside of 24, which is that happening are probably pretty slim. So TG, unfortunately, is going to have to play. He's going to have to find some form like he had in the middle of the season where he won three out of five live events there in, in, a, in a stretch. So, yeah, that's going to have to happen because Cam Smith with his last uh, winning two of the last three live events has gotten a – and really pretty heavy lead at this point. 
Speaking of Liv and Phil Mickelson, Woody, we talked a lot on our radio show on Sunday about Phil Mickelson and this book, The Gambler's Secrets of a Life at Risk, that Billy Walters alleged that Phil Mickelson bet more than a billion dollars on sports over three decades, a hundred million dollars in losses. Um, it says he bet 110K to win 100K 1,115 times, and he made over 3,000 bets in 2011 alone. We spent a ton of time about it, Woody, on Sunday. And basically, my takeaway was we've heard about this book coming out for so long that I thought it was going to literally end Phil Mickelson. And it comes out, and it just kind of... Uh, it kind of strengthens the allure of Phil Mickelson and the legend of Phil Mickelson that we weren't ripping Phil Mickelson after this book came out. It just kind of made us revisit some of the you know legendary gambling stories of Phil Mickelson. Uh, I don't know. I was kind of expecting this book to be a little bit more hard-hitting. What were your thoughts on what came out about Phil Mickelson over this past week? You know, I, I think we all know that Phil... Phil's just a different cat. I mean, they all tried to make him out like he was the next Arnold Palmer. Well, trust me, I've, I've seen Arnold Palmer, I've seen Phil Mickelson. They're not even close, okay? Not even close. Mickelson is a rebel. He is uh, he stirs a pot, which is, is good. I mean, it makes for great books. It makes for great talk on shows like ours. But I don't, I don't look at Phil Mickelson as is a guy that I'll ever say, wow, if golf hadn't had Phil Mickelson, we really would have been lost, okay? He's just not, he doesn't move the needle for me personally, okay? That's just my personal opinion there. I was sad to see that, you know, he even thought about betting on the Ryder Cup. I, I hate that, and I don't know that that was true. You know, that's what we were told, but we don't know. That's a book. That's what I mean. He says, she says. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, do I think any less of Phil Mickelson or any more of Phil Mickelson? Uh, that'd be negative. No, I do not. T-Dub, uh, by the way, I just wanted to clarify that Phil came out and said he never bet the $400,000 on the Ryder Cup back in 2011 at Medina. Uh, he refuted that and then said, quote, gambling has been part of my life forever since I can remember, but about a decade ago is when it when I would say it became reckless. It's embarrassing. I don't like that people know. The fact is that I've been dealing with it for some time. Amy has been very supportive of it and with me and the process. We're at a place after many years where I feel comfortable with where that is. It isn't a threat to me or my financial security. It was just a number of poor decisions on my part. Um, That is coming from Phil Mickelson after this book came out. But my point about the book, T-Dub, is you know, it's a lot of stuff that we basically already knew about Phil Mickelson. It was nothing shocking uh, coming out of this book. No, nothing groundbreaking whatsoever. And honestly, kind of like you were saying, a little bit lighter than I truly expected. I expected there to be at least one or two tidbits that you could look at and say, okay, let's go ahead and maybe look into this a little bit more. But at this point, no, that's not the case. So, yeah, there's one thing that's interesting about it, too, is that people lose – like people with money, they spend their money all the time. Like this happens all the time. Yeah, people who go from millionaires to to brokies in a stretch of a year. It it just what happens. And what would happen if Phil just bought some 
lavish things for his house with that money that he had, or just bought a bunch of property that he, that he never uses or something like that. Obviously he makes the point I'm trying to make here is that yes, he made bad choices, but at the same time, as he mentioned, he didn't go completely broke from it. So there's, in my opinion, Phil, he didn't do anything to hurt his family by doing it, at least not to where it's public or anything like that. So it's, I, I don't have an essay problem with it. him being on the Ryder Cup. At least good thing that didn't happen because they had one of the biggest choke jobs in <laughs> the history of golf. So thank God because I would have been salt in the wound for sure. No doubt. Um, yeah, and the one billion number kind of slaps you in the face, Woody. But that's spanning over three decades. Um, yeah, it's one of those situations where, like, if we bet a hundred bucks, you know, that's kind of like Phil Mickelson betting a hundred and ten thousand. Like, I don't know. It's it's kind of his business, and I feel almost dirty knowing all the specific facts on Phil. Like, it, it just didn't make me think any less of Phil Mickelson after after reading the excerpts out of this book. Um, any any final thoughts hey, on that? Hey Woody? guys, too, remember. Well, remember this too, okay. John Daly has bet a lot of money, too, okay? And people just take it for granted. That's John, okay? It's Phil's money. If Phil wants to spend it that way, that's Phil's right to spend it that way, and it's not us to judge him for it, okay? I wouldn't do it. Probably you guys wouldn't do it. But he did it, and it's no big deal. It's legal. He was legal to gamble, okay? I didn't want him to gamble on the Ryder Cup. I'm glad he didn't. But other than that, it's his money. Do what he wants. And he was pretty darn good at it. To bet over a billion dollars and only have a hundred million in losses. Uh, obviously, getting those picks from the greatest sports gambler of all time, Billy Walters, over all of those years. I think that Phil was actually what do they call it? Like a runner for Billy Walters, where he was placing bets for Billy Walters in casinos that Billy Walters was banned from because he was too good at sports gambling. For instance, like a a casino might say, you know, Billy Walters has a $300 limit on what he can win. Well, that's not worth it to Billy Walters, um, but they put that limit on him because he has taken so much money from that casino sports gambling. So he gets a rich guy like Phil Mickelson, um, you know, to go go in and place those bets for him. I wonder how much of that $1 billion was placed for Billy Walters. It didn't say. Yeah, I'm not fully sure on all, all those factors. I will say that when we got a text about this when we were doing the radio show, and I remember watching it about 10 years ago. I need to go back and rewatch it, but there was a 60-minute show done on Billy Walters. It was extremely, extremely fascinating stuff. It may be on YouTube somewhere now. For people who want to go and Google it, it was probably, I think it's 15 minute little segment or something like that. And I, like I said, I need to go back and watch it. But I remember being, it was actually probably 15 years ago now because I remember still being in high school when it happened. I just being amazed at how, it was the first time that I learned that you could have a single guy make a single bet and move the line of a spread. And, and also, too, along that point, it actually said in that documentary that, or that excerpt, that he would go in and he would bet down a line to make it move and then go bet the other side just so you got a better number they like. It's absolutely crazy that you could possibly do something like that. It blew my mind. That was my probably favorite quote from this past week from the Fire Pit Collective, which is Alan Shipnuck, who we've had on the podcast. Uh, Phil saying, quote, you guys go ahead because when I place my bets, it might move the line. Uh, I mean, imagine being able to say that. And there's so many stories that came out over last week. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to that, it, it's on the radio show from Sunday, fellas. But 
We got to hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast. When we return from the break, we are going to cover the U.S. Am going on and then preview the BMW Championship coming up this week here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at mccrayroofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And if you guys are not following us on social media, definitely make sure and go do so at the 73rd Hole on Twitter and at 73rd Hole on Instagram. I am at Sam Humphreys 34 as well. I retweeted. Uh, article about Lucas Glover's first professional win. Uh, This article came back in the early 2000s where he had his first professional win at the Oklahoma Open at Oak Tree. So definitely go look at that if you're interested in young Lucas Glover. Speaking of young guys, we need to talk about the USAM going on at Cherry Hills Country Club and Colorado Golf Club. Blades Brown ends up being the medalist tied with Samson Zhang of China. Blades Brown from Nashville, Tennessee. They are the medalists, uh, but we are into the round of 64. As far as the Oklahoma guys playing in the USAM, we had Ryder Cowan, who did not make the match play, but of the guys that did make match play with Oklahoma ties, you had Stout from OSU, Baumgartner from OSU, you had Ben Lorenz and Drew Goodman from OU all advance in into the round of 64 and scrolling down here you have Blades Brown win one up over Benton Weinberg who Blades Brown obviously the medalist for the USAM I'm scrolling down here trying to find some of these guys Gordon Sargent lost two and one to Nick Dunlap uh, today earlier on this morning Austin Greaser wins 6-4 and four over Jonas Baumgartner of OSU. Preston Stout from OSU wins, or is one up through 13 holes of his match in the round of 64. Drew Goodman is one down through nine of his match in the round of 64. T-Dub, did I miss anything obvious? No, you hit most of the, the local guys there for sure. One guy who used to be a local guy, Brian Stark, he lost 4-3. Uh, and three to the four seed Maxwell Ford. So, but no, it's USAM is, well, it used to be a major way back in the day. So it's an extremely important tournament, but it's extremely important now if you can somehow make it into the, the final matches, because that's going to get you into the masters, which is going to be 
a miraculous performance. Our uh, guy that used to live with you, Sam Brad Dalkey, he made it to the Masters that way as well. So, yeah, super cool. Hopefully some one of these local guys, unfortunately a couple of them lost this morning, but hopefully Andrew Goodman with uh, one with uh, the back nine to go, one down. Hopefully he can make a little bit of a run. Or even uh, Preston Stout, who is going to be an OSU Cowboy here in a couple of years. Uh, he's one up through 13. So maybe one of those guys could definitely make a little bit of a move. Hey, guys, you want to hear a funny story about the Colorado Golf Club? Yeah, absolutely. What do you got? Uh, of course. They had a senior PGA there. I believe it was 2009. I want to say it was 2009. I might be wrong today. But anyway, we go up there to play this golf tournament. Well, this golf course has just barely gotten open. It's just started, okay? And this is one of the first big events they've ever had there. Well, they hadn't really even finished the clubhouse, so we didn't have a locker room. And supposedly they couldn't pay their bills, so all the grass that had been put around the clubhouse was pulled up by the developer guy or the guy that was putting out the grass because he hadn't gotten paid. So it was a cluster is what I'm telling you. It's PGA of America at its finest is what it was. It was just a joke. But when you said Colorado Golf Club, that's the first memory I had. Not of the golf course. Couldn't tell you anything hardly about the golf course. Other than the fact it was in Colorado, you hit it a long way, and I had no way of But other than that, but I do remember the fact that they didn't pay their bills and all the grass was ripped up, so it was just a mud hole. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't like that for these guys this year at the USAM. Obviously, Cherry Hills, the other course, and T-Dub, I still, to this day, think that the USAM is the toughest golf tournament to win, not only in amateur golf, but all of golf. 312 players are in the tournament, then the top 64 get into match play, and then you got to go all the way through that bracket to win the USAM. We've seen so many great players not win the USAM. That's why I think that Tiger's greatest feat out of all is him winning the three U.S. juniors and the three USAMs. I think it's the toughest tournament to win in all of golf. I tend to agree with you, Sam. You make a lot of really good points because you think about it, all the people that try to qualify for it. And then the tournament side, that's 350 kids that play. It's the reason they need two different golf courses. You mentioned Colorado Golf Club and Cherry Hills, which is for, for people who remember the 2009 USAM, you can think of it as Cherry Hills being the same as Southern Hills and Colorado Golf Club being the same as Cedar Ridge was that time. So just for, for people who may have played Cherry Hills before in the past, it's an extremely great golf course. It has hosted numerous U.S. Opens, hosted a PGA Championship, actually hosted two PGA Championships, I believe. They haven't gone back to there in a while. It's probably because with it being so high at altitude, the ball's just going to go forever. Maybe they don't want that to be the case. But it's most infamous for – the 1960 U.S. Opens, where Arnold Palmer drove the first green, made an eagle on that hole, and beat it at the time an amateur Jack Nicklaus by two shots. So that was, and then also I believe Hogan was around there as well. So it's kind of three eras of golf all coming together. So that would be uh, that would be if you could go back and watch any golf tournament in the world, that would probably be in a, a top five, at least worst uh, top ten list for sure. You know, I I only got to play Cherry Hills one time in my career. Uh, it's a phenomenal golf course. I remember it for what C.W. was talking about, Arnold Palmer driving the first green. I mean, I, I can't even imagine doing that in 1960 because I didn't try it when I was there. But uh, that's about the only memory I had of Cherry Hills. I, I didn't play a golf tournament. I just got the chance to play the golf course. Spectacular golf course. A lot of fun, but uh, 
don't have really anything about it playing in the tournament. Well, we will try to keep you guys updated on the round of 64 in the match play bracket throughout the rest of this USM. The Oklahoma guys or the guys with Oklahoma ties have some work to do here in the round of 64. We'll keep you updated on social media throughout the week on the USAM. Speaking of the USAM, Olympia Fields held a US Amateur back in 2015. It also held a U.S. Senior Open in 97, held the PGA Championship in 1925 and 1961, and obviously held the U.S. Open in 1928 and then 2003, where Jim Furyk won. That is where the BMW Championship is for the second round of the FedEx Cup playoffs, and T-Dub, I'm looking at the favorites on Datagolf, not the Vegas favorites, but the analytical favorites on Datagolf for the BMW Championship, and we have Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay, and Xander Shoffley, your usual suspects up there as your analytical favorites for the golf tournament. Does the winner come out of that top five at Olympia Fields, T-Dub? Probably does, in all honesty, but I sure hope it doesn't because we're getting to the final nitty-gritty of the one-and-done. We only got two tournaments left, and I have no players left. So you were having to go to the bottom of the barrel. Luckily, 50 guys, I may have five or six that I can pick at this point. Maybe your philosophy stand wasn't too bad of just holding some guys back because I guarantee you have a few more picks left than I do. So hopefully it works out for you. But, no, I'm very interested to see how this course plays out. They had the, uh, the B&W championship there in 2020. That's where John Rahm made the long putt against Dustin Johnson in the playoff, and I believe they were only about four under par whenever they went to that playoff. So there were very few guys under par for that tournament. Played extremely tough, and I expect it to be very similar this week, which is why I think that the, the cream will rise to the top a little bit of a sense with one of those guys doing it. And also, too, it's a situation where with the FedEx Cup standings, John Rahm's number one, Scotty Shelfer's number two, Rory's three. But if, for example, if Rory can go out and win, then he's going to move up into one and move it up. So I or a Cantley who we were talking about earlier, who's in fifth, always plays good this tournament. He can move up into the top three and move up to one with a win as well. So I, I expect the uh, maybe one of those guys to maybe surpass Rom this week. And because it seems like just last week he was not playing very good golf. And oh, then you have Scheffler dealing with the, the putter woes. He actually did what we all been wanting him to do and change putters. And all of a sudden that didn't work for him either. So who knows what happened to those guys? But I do expect it to be a, a pretty top heavy tournament. I think, I think Sam, is, is what I said earlier, I look for that cream to come to the top this week. I really do. So I hope one of those five doesn't win it. Like what T-Dub's saying, not that I don't have a one and done left because I didn't do it. But I I kind of want as somebody else to jump up in there. I I think it would be great if Lucas Glover was in the hunt again. I just think that would be so much fun to watch that. That's, that's just me. I, lots of people probably don't want him to do that, but I think it would be great. Speaking of Lucas Glover's analytics, now this factors in the entire year of strokes gain stats, so take of this what you will, but it says that Lucas Glover only has a .4% chance to win the golf tournament this week. The analytics are saying that Lucas Glover eventually is going to come back down to earth, but what those analytics don't factor in is confidence, and that's what Lucas Glover has been playing with. I also like Taylor Moore, uh, who is in this tournament as well. He has been playing with confidence, but my two one-and-done picks for this week, I'm going with solid ball strikers. I'm going with Tommy Fleetwood and Cam Young, two guys 
that we're probably going to see at the Ryder Cup. Cam Young has to prove something this week, and I think that he will. I think we will see Cam Young on the Ryder Cup team after what he did at the Open Championship. But if he could have a good week this week, and I think that he will, I think that he will be on that Ryder Cup team. Other guys, number six favorite is Victor Hovland, then Terrell Hatton, Tommy Fleetwood, Colin Morikawa, Max Homa, Jordan Spieth, Cam Young, Ricky Fowler, Wyndham Clark. Any thoughts on uh, the kind of tier two guys, T-Dub? Well, the good thing for them is that they're all secured to make it to East Lake, so they, they don't have that much pressure there, but if they want a realistic chance to to win the Tour Championship, win the FedEx Cup, they probably need to have a solid week this week to be able to somehow move up into the top five. Ideally, the top three is where it's at, because if you're number one, you start at 10 under, I believe second's eight under, third seven under, and it drops down progressively from there, so the, the higher up you are, the better. So yeah, they just need another solid week in there. We share, we do share one of our one and done picks, Sam. I'm going with Cam Young as well. As I mentioned earlier, I do not have very many players left. And then you also get the situation of, of Cam Young. He's 46. The FedEx team, he's actually barely made it into this tournament. He actually only has a 10% chance analytically to make it to the Tour Championship next week. He's going to have to have probably a top two, top three finish to be able to make it through. But we saw something like Hideki Matsuyama finish 47th, or who is currently 47th. He birdied five out of his last six holes or something like that to be able to, to vault himself up into here. So, there, there are definitely is some volatility that can happen. There's just not going to be an abundance of it. But my other one and done pick, I'm going with Cameron Davis. Once again, I don't have that many players left, and he's uh, been playing extremely, extremely solid over these last couple of weeks. He finished uh, sixth last week at the FedEx St. Jude, finished seventh at the Wyndham, finished tenth at the 3M Open. So having three straight top tens leads me to want to pick someone. So I'm going to go ahead and roll with him. With I tell you, I want to pick. I want to. I'm going to pick Taylor Moore. Because if I got lucky with Lucas Clover, maybe I can get lucky with T Moore. And and that would be a great win for him. So I, I like him. I like and the other thing I like guys is the Ryder Cup guys. I want to watch those guys that are on the bubble. I think that's gonna be the most interesting thing about this tournament for me. No doubt about it. T dub brings up a good point with Cam Young. That's one of the reasons why I'm running him out in the one and done this week because I feel like he might be done after this week. Uh, what'd you say? He's in 46th or 47th right now in the FedEx Cup standing. So I need to use him uh, just in case he doesn't make it to East Lake. Woody, I got to ask you about some of these ball strikers like a Cantlay, Shafley, Hovland, and Fleetwood. I'm looking at those guys this week at Olympia Fields. Tell me a little bit more about the golf course uh, and what type of player you might be looking for. I'm looking for ball strikers. Do you agree with me, Woody? Totally. Totally. It's a ball striker golf course. There won't be a lot of birdies. Guys, there's only two par fives. So it's par 70. Ball strikers will be supreme. They'll have rough. They'll, they'll grow it up. There's the pressure starting to mount. That's why I think the cream is going to come to the top. But definitely, I think you're spot on, Sam. Go with the ball strikers this week, for sure. T-Dub, does John Rahm worry you at all? I mean, I, I've been watching John Rahm all year, and it seems like his putting has come and gone off the tee as well. He's kind of aiming left and hitting that same left shot with the driver a little bit. I'm not as confident in John Rahm headed into this week. Obviously, Rory and Scotty, out of those two guys, I'd probably choose Rory just considering that he played well last week, and I don't trust Scotty Scheffler's putting. It seems like his game's coming back down to earth a little bit. At least the ball striking and the putting is still not there. So out of the top guys in the world, I'm either taking Rory McIlroy or Patrick Cantley. 
way. Xander Shoffley also battling out Homa for that last locked-in Ryder Cup spot at number six. Um, any thoughts on those top guys, T-Dub? I, I'm thinking that Rory probably has the best chance out of those five guys. Yeah, I, I definitely think that Rory is the play there. Maybe maybe Cantlin at those two. I do like both those guys over Rom and Scheffler just because, as you mentioned, Scheffler in particular, his, his putter is just – even if he tries to change putters, he, he can't putt good. Over the last uh, five out of his last seven tournaments, he's lost strokes game on the greens. And before he was hitting it so exceptionally well that he was able to make up for it. And he's still hitting the ball well. It's just, as you mentioned earlier, not to the astronomical numbers as it was earlier in the year. And you mentioned John Rahm with his putter. I'm, I'm, is it as good as it was at the beginning of the year? No, but I'm a lot more worried about his off the tee game than I am his putter. This is actually analytically the worst driving year that he's ever had. And that includes the incredible start that he had at the start of the year, including winning the Masters. So it's one of the few times, it's actually the first time in the last six years that he's losing strokes when it comes to accuracy. So that shows that him aiming left and trying to play a huge fade is not working for him as well as it should. So, But when you're that talented, you can get it dialed back in. You can get it fixed at any given moment. At least right now, he just doesn't have it. So I, I'm definitely going to trust. I'm not throwing, I'm not saying fade John Rom or Scotty Scheffler, but there's definitely a couple other guys that I would favor over them. T-Dub, of these last five guys in the top 30 before the BMW Championship, Tyrrell Hatton, Jordan Spieth, Sung J.M., Chris Kirk, and Sam Burns, do any of those guys not make the Tour Championship? Say those names one more time, Sam. So you we got, got Tyrrell Hatton, Jay. Spieth, Tyrrell Hatton, Spieth, Sung J., Chris Kirk, Sam Burns. You have to think that there's going to be at least – there has to be at least one change, right? Like, I don't know if there's ever been a time to where there hasn't been going into the church championship since they started the FedEx Cup. I believe it was in 2007 or 2008 whenever they did start it. Since then, there's never been a time to where no one – the points did not change from one event. So I definitely expect one or two to fall down. So you look at it, analytically, the, the highest one to move out is Chris Kirk at about 47%. The highest to move into it, as I was alluding to earlier before the, before the uh, break, was Tahiti Gala at 33%, Justin Rose down at 23%. Then you got Kirk Kitayama, Denny McCarthy, Seamus Power, Lee Hodges down there. Tigala uh, and Rose, and Kitayama was playing earlier, playing good earlier in the year, McCarthy as well. But those guys are they've kind of, kind of cooled down a little bit. So really no one's really chasing at the coattails. Of these guys, I would be probably a little bit more likely to say that a Cameron Young or Hideki would potentially go out, or maybe even I, I don't think this will happen, but someone like a Matty Fitz who's in 40th could go out and, and be able to just play really good, finish in the top one or two, and be able to push and move someone out. But now I expect Sam Burns to have a solid week because the pressure that he has right now, not only to try to make the Ryder Cup, but to do the Tour Championship as well. A lot riding there. So if you ask me the guys that would move out, I would probably say Kirk. I don't think Kirk will make it to East Lake. I think Sungjae will. I think uh, Spieth will. I think Hatton will. So, and you look at it too, going up. I think almost everyone above them is, is secured. So, if I had to pick it right now, Sam, I only say one. I say one moves out, and one moves in. But I think at the end of the day, it will be more. Yeah, and that kind of brings me to my last subject of the day. T Dub is this BMW Championship will highlight who's on the bubble of top 30. And I feel like that's really where the PGA Tour is watered down now and the FedEx Cup playoffs are watered down 
uh, as opposed to before Liv because we don't have Cam Smith or uh, Brooks Kepka or Taylor Gooch or Dustin Johnson or Patrick Reed, just a little bit more name guys up there that we expect to see in the top 30. And that allows, you know, guys like uh, Kirk Kitayama, Sahithi Gala, Chris Kirk, Denny McCarthy, Lee Hodges, Adam Hadwin, Ben On, uh, Adam Svensson, those type of guys to have a little bit more of a chance because it is a little bit more watered down this year with, you know, 5 to 10 to 15 spots not being there because those guys are on live. Yeah, this is really the area that you see, and we've actually seen it on really all three levels of it. It, it's a, it took a little bit away from it considering we went from 70 to, uh, from 125 to 70 early for the first event. So there's a few names that obviously the Justin Thomases and Adam Scott, Gary Williams of the world, you expect to make it through, and they didn't. And even just the names that, or like, for example, that missed it this upcoming tournament we were talking about earlier, those are not names that blow me away. And I'm like, oh, that was such a great season. How are they not playing in the BMW? No, I'm just not saying that. And even down to the guys that are currently in the church championship, Right now, you have the likes of I know Seb Straka won at uh, at the John or finished second at the John Deere, but it's not like people are are extremely clavering for for them or like a Chris Kirk he won at the Honda, which Paul Azinger would say was the best win of the entire season. But it, once again, guys have had solid seasons, but at the same time, you you throw in a Brooks Kepka, a Cam Smith, a Dustin Johnson, a Taylor Gooch. These names are would be in the top thirty. There's no doubt about it. Maybe Dustin Johnson, without bad he's played over the last couple events, would be slightly on the outside looking in. But you have a major champion in Bruce Kepke with how TG and Cam have played this year. There's no way that they wouldn't be in the top 30. So you would push some of those bottom guys out to move the other guys in. So it's definitely something that you notice at this point in the game, no doubt about it. Yeah, Patrick Reed, another one, having a sneaky, really good year on Liv. He hasn't won, but third in the standings on Liv. I just think that some of those names would make the FedEx Cup playoffs better and a little bit more entertaining. And not, I'm not saying that the guys, you know, 30 to 50 are no names. I'm just saying they're not quite as accomplished as names we've seen in the past, T-Dub, I guess is the way I would put it. Well, it's 100% right. It's just the, the effect of what happens when you take how many ever the top players that were up there? I know Liv has 48, but how many of would you consider to be officially world-class up to the level of would be contending for almost every tournament that they play in? And it, it's a fairly small amount, but at the same time, it's enough at this point where you say, okay, like if we have every one of these players come together, it's going to make for, for hella great tournaments. I would prefer that. What's funny is that throughout the season, I prefer how it has been, when the sense of you have some players play this tournament, some players play this tournament, and with how the schedule laid out, it was perfect when it came to this week I watched Liv, this week I watched PJ and go on. But this last week, when you could have had all the players that were playing at, at Trump Bedminster, you could have had put them in the FedEx Cup playoffs, or at least the ones that would have qualified in the top 70. It would have made that such a better tournament as opposed to not having them there and having a tournament where Cam Smith wins by seven shots. Yeah, I think... When you say it was better, I think you're speaking more as a golf fan instead of as far as better for the product. It's obviously better when you have everyone together. Especially when you have the, the media who's just absolutely clamoring for there to be hate and rivalry when it comes to it. I think that was the biggest proponent of it all. But yes, whenever you come to what is actually best for the game of golf, if you could, if we lived in a perfect world, yes, it would be if we all just played together under one tour that would definitely be best but unfortunately changes had to be made because had they not been then I think that we would probably be in a lot worse situation than we are now no 
doubt about it. The BMW Championship at Olympia Fields is going to be fun to watch this week. Like I said, stay tuned on at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram for the USAM updates throughout the weekend. T-Dub, thank you. Woody, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd hole podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. If you're not getting all of your local golf news from Golf Oklahoma, definitely make sure and go do so. They have some great USAM stories up on golfoklahoma.org right now. Go check that out. And also, I want to remind everybody that we are right there on the sportsanimal.com podcast page. If you get a get our podcast on Apple or, or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, you can also get it on the sportsanimal.com. That will do it for us this week. We'll be back next week recapping the USAM and the BMW Championship right here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, 73rd Old Podcast.